On behalf of the European Association for International Education, I'm Laura Rumbly, and this is the EAIE podcast series. Every two weeks, give or take, we offer up a short conversation with someone working in international education to help inform our understanding of the rich array of work being done in this field. This episode is being published on November 30th, 2022, just 10 days before the winners of the 35th European Film Awards will be announced on December 10th. In honor of this auspicious occasion, today's episode brings into focus the world of film and media studies in Europe. We get there through the reflections and commentary of someone who has dedicated his career to filmmaking and brings national, regional, and international sensibilities to this discussion. Manuel José Damasio is a professor at Lusófona University in Lisbon, where he leads the Film and Media Arts Department and is also the coordinator for Film EU, the European University of Film and Media Arts. In addition, he serves as chair of the European Association of Film and Media Schools. Manuel José Damasio is not only a technical expert in the field of filmmaking, but as you'll hear in our conversation, he is steeped in the history of film studies and has a clear vision for its decidedly dynamic future. It's really nice to meet you, Manuel José, and I have to say that in looking a little bit at, that, at your background, we see that you currently serve as chair of the European Association of Film and Media Schools, and you're a board member of the International Association of Film and Media Schools, and we are under the impression that you often work together with peers internationally on projects and publications. So a clear international dimension to your everyday work. And I wonder, as we get started in this conversation, if you might be able to reflect a little bit for us on some of the main advantages that you see of being able to work at this international level with colleagues from different backgrounds and cultures. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing is that uh, coming from a small country as Portugal, and uh, also from a, a mid-sized institution in, in uh, European terms, I think that uh, working on an international scale uh, becomes uh, obvious because otherwise uh, you lack the ability to reach the critical mass that is uh, needed nowadays uh, uh, in terms of uh, competitiveness. You lack the ability to understand what's going on in the world around you. And I would say that most of all, you lose the ability to understand the transformations higher education, but also society is going through. Um, I think that more and more European higher education institutions have to work on an European level. And I would say that there are three main reasons for that. And the European universities are a little bit like the coalition of all those reasons. The first one is obviously funding. Um, I think that tapping into new sources of funding and developing the ability to acquire competitive funding, both for education and research, is a core aspect of everyday uh, management of higher education nowadays in Europe. The second aspect has to do with what I would call increased knowledge and innovation. So the ability institutions have to increase their ability to generate knowledge, which is at the end of the day what they're supposed to do, but also to transfer that knowledge into society via innovation is highly dependable on their international dimension. And you can say that even the ability to interact with others on an international scale will add to any innovation uh, efforts you make at national level. Um, the third reason is probably the one that has uh, the most impact in the case of FilmEU, which is the ability to introduce in your existing models of management, of teaching, of learning, of developing research, practices, knowledge coming from other institutions. Because at the end of the day, that will allow you to do things better. 
because one, you're not doing it alone, you're doing it with others, and two, what you're doing has a greater impact, not only upon your local or national dimension, but also on an international scale. So I think that those three reasons, the ability to increase and tap into new sources of funding, the ability to improve what you do as your mission, and the ability to do it differently because you're exchanging and you're sharing experiences with others, I think that those three elements make internationalization a core aspect of uh, our everyday life. And in the case of my uh, own school in Portugal, uh, a small film school working on its own will at the end of the day just disappear because uh, uh, cinema is, a, uh, is an international language by definition. So working on a national scale, it's something that doesn't make uh, absolutely no sense at all. So super interesting points that you made. They're very concrete, and I think they resonate very highly with our audience within the EAE. Um, I can't wait to unpack a bit more what you're doing specifically within the Film EU Alliance. But before we do that, I wonder if we could talk a little bit what, about what you've just said about the, the nature and character of film and media studies, or film in general. Could you give us a little bit of an impression of how you'd characterize the health and vitality of European film and media studies today? strengths or challenges within the sector, and whether or not you think that those strengths and challenges are unique to film and media studies in the European context, or the extent to which you might talk about any global trends or, or things that you see in other regions of the world with regard to the, the health and vitality of this educational sector. Um, let's start with a little bit of history. So film education is uh, although I wouldn't say it's a top-of-the-mind field uh, of education, it's actually an extremely well-defined field of education in Europe. Uh, the oldest film school in the world is an European school. The most, I would say, traditional uh, uh, film schools in the world have actually emerged and appeared in Europe. Uh, as a field of studies, film education has always been highly related to what I would call craft-based education. So that model of education whereby higher education institutions operate on a very traditional master-apprentice model. And that model was actually the dominant model, I would say, until the 80s, until almost the, the, the end of the 20th century. And there were many reasons for that. The basic education model for film in Europe was the so-called six-pack model, which works on the basis of specialization. So what you are actually doing in most schools, and that was in a sense highly innovative, most schools didn't have that many internal staff. They would require the help of experts, the so-called masters, uh, that had uh, the professional skills that were needed in order to master the craft. And education was understood basically as a process of acquiring skills that were needed in order to perform in the industry. So that was the basic, the dominant model. That model evolved in uh, most uh, European countries on parallel with other models of education in the arts. And that's why I think that the, the challenges and opportunities that film education faces nowadays are actually common to the arts in general. And in a broader sense to what I would call the cultural and creative sectors. So going back to the, the history bit, so that craft-based education resulted in what was known in Europe as the conservatoires, which were the dominant educational model in this field in Europe, and almost all European school countries had a national film school or a national theatre school, uh, ranging from Portugal to uh, Eastern Europe. You would always have that model of the highly dedicated, very focused education. That changed a lot. Uh, by the end of the, the 20th century. And I would say that the first challenge 
these schools faced and that are still facing nowadays is what I would call the academization of film education. So more and more due to legal pressure, uh, due to the need of some of those the, the schools to adapt themselves to the Bologna Declaration, due, due to profound changes in the national education systems that resulted in the fact that many of these schools were integrated into much larger institutions. It's the case of my uh, film school, which is a, nowadays a very small department within a very large, for national uh, scale, a large uh, uh, research and comprehensive uh, uh, institution. So a lot of pressures uh, occurred in the last 30 years uh, uh, um, that I think posed a lot of challenges to these schools. Some of them adapted. You need, for instance, just to give you an example, you still have some film schools in Europe that have not joined the Bologna Declaration. It's probably one of the few sectors in Europe where you still have schools that award degrees but that are not inside the Bologna system, which is really bizarre. More it's very, yeah, yeah, very it's interesting. Really, really yeah. weird. So it's a very specific field of education. And, and, I, and I would say that there were two reactions. You had the, the kind of the asterisk reaction, those that stayed in their little village, doing <laughs> things that they have always done in the past, and those that have adapted. And, and, and I, I would say that nowadays, the ones that have adapted and evolved are the dominant, uh, the predominant model of film schools. And those that have evolved have made film education a much broader field. So they've moved from this craft-based oriented model of the past to a knowledge and practice-based field of education that nowadays brings together what one could call artistic uh, uh, research. So practice-based oriented research with a strong focus on critical abilities bringing together the knowledge that was very common, for instance, in the UK around film studies, mm. an area which is clearly focused and much more oriented towards humanities. So I would say that nowadays film education brings together arts education with social sciences and humanities. And what makes it also very interesting with a lot of technology, because this is a highly uh, dependable uh, on technology fields. Uh, we have a domain where technology becomes obsolete in two to five years. So very fast cycles of technological evolution. So actually the challenges that this field has been facing in the last uh, couple of decades allowed it to, I would say, to become much stronger. Mm -hmm. So many of these schools nowadays are integrated in larger institutions. I think that they add and they bring a lot of value to the education already being provided by those institutions because they have this ability to tap into the individual uh, uh, learner needs, which is really unique. This, this model of the master and the apprentice allowed these schools to develop educational models that are at the same time very individualistic, but, and that's what makes it interesting, film is above all a team, a collective effort. So, they are also very oriented towards what I would call the collective model of education. So, uh, uh, and that brings us to the opportunities. And I would say that there are three main opportunities around film education. The first one is that the educational models that have been predominant in film education for decades are actually the ones that are now being adopted by many other fields. Challenge-based education, team and project-based uh, uh, education. A project under development educational and pedagogical models. All of that, it's something that film has been doing for ages. So most film schools are actually very good 
at providing that type of education. So for instance, in my school, we've been doing challenge-based education for 20 years. So it's nothing, it's nothing new, new to us. Uh, and the other thing, the second opportunity derives from the fact that this is in a highly interdisciplinary field. So for uh, more and more, film education is becoming an element within what I would call a much broader field of education around the cultural and creative industries. It's like a concentric model where the skills you acquire via film education are actually applicable in all domains where the cultural and creative uh, industries have a saying. And the third element is the ability to tap in a creative manner into technology. And this is crucial because the challenge you see most computing schools, for instance, facing is that the traditional engineering education is no longer attractive to a lot of young people. So they have this problem of attracting applicants. While in the case of film, we've been attracting students for ages based on the fact that what we do is we use technology in a creative and critical manner. And that's really different from what's being done in many other fields. And that's where I think that field education can have a very positive impact upon higher education as a whole, because it brings to the table innovative pedagogical methods that we've actually been using for ages. We know how to move ourselves in interdisciplinary uh, areas. We've been doing that for ages. And we know how to use technology in a way that is different from what is being done in other fields. And I think that with the more and more important role of automation across our society, these core aspects of creativity, imagination, and the ability to use critical reasoning will become more and more important in higher education. I think that at the end of the day, they will be the things that distinguish higher education from other forms of education. So to summarize, I would say that film education did uh, uh, a lot in the last 50 years. It was able to change from an institutional perspective. We no longer have, there are very few examples left of this very small, high profile, very expensive schools because you, I think it's important also to mention that film education is extremely expensive. Ah. There are, there are uh, uh, figures that show that educating uh, film students is as expensive as education, educating veterinary students. For instance, I have those figures from my university. Interesting. Uh, um, so I think that these schools have done a lot in terms of transforming themselves, evolving and adapting themselves to the circumstances, but obviously also being at the forefront of societal development because the ability to tell stories, the ability to understand the past and promote our heritage is something that film education has been doing for ages. And again, it's something at the center of the European way of life. And, and I think that it's really important to understand that film and the creative sectors as a whole are one of the areas where Europe can really be competitive worldwide. We, we do it clearly better than others. So I think that if you look at the models, the, the huge film schools in the US or in Australia, you'll see that what they're doing, their curriculum, their pedagogical practices, it's actually very, very similar to what we've been doing in Europe uh, uh, in the last uh, 30 to 40 years. So I think that we can actually have a positive impact uh, on a higher education worldwide, which is something that unfortunately Europe cannot claim in many other fields. But in this particular field, I think that we have a very strong position and we have the ability, and I would say the conditions are in place to make it even, uh, uh, so to say, bigger in terms of its relevance on an international scale. 
So I think that brings us really naturally to a discussion of this um, groundbreaking sort of on the, the frontline project that you're involved in, which is Film EU, a universe, European University Alliance focused on film and media arts. Um, wondering if you can talk a little bit about what exactly Film EU is trying to achieve. Um, it sounds like the importance of it is, is clearly embedded in what you've just told us about this potential for really important leadership globally in this area, but would love to learn a little bit more about what's, what's animating Film EU and, and where is it headed? Okay, so Film EU, I would say like many of the existing European universities, is actually built on a, on a long, or actually builds on a very long cooperation. So it's not something that we woke up one day in 2019 and we said, oh, we're going to apply for the European universities. It wasn't like that. So the core institutions that uh, promote FUMU have been working together for more than a decade. Uh, we've been working together on providing joint uh, degrees, which is, I, think, I think it's something that became crucial uh, throughout the development of FUMU. So many of these institutions started promoting together Erasmus Mundus uh, um, European Joint Master Degrees 15 years ago. Currently, we run seven of these Erasmus Mundus Joint European Degrees, and they, they were at the center of the European of, of our proposal for the European University. So I, I think we did together the ladder that the EU has designed under the Erasmus. So we started many years ago doing together strategic partnerships. Then we moved to Knowledge Alliances. We were one of the first. So when the EU funded the first three pilots for the Knowledge Alliances, actually one of those pilots was already promoted by the same consortia that is now promoting FUMU. And then we started promoting joint uh, Erasmus Mundus master degrees. Many of the master degrees we started promoting more than a decade ago still exist and are extremely successful. All our Erasmus Mundus are labeled by the EU as example of best practices. We've always scored extremely high uh, in all evaluations we've been through. And that was, I would say, it was natural for us to try and apply for the, the, the European universities. We did not apply in the first round of funding because we thought we still weren't mature enough in terms of understanding. Because the European universities are, I would say, an amazing idea and it's something that is being made as it's going along. So uh, when the first call came out, it wasn't completely clear for us what was expected of the institution. So we waited, we didn't fly the, the first time. We waited uh, to see a little bit where it was adding. And then we applied in the, in the second round. We were successful. Uh, um, we, we were one of, and I think we still are, one of the smallest European universities. Our initial consortia was only made up of four institutions, which was really small, and it, 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 it's really small. In this second round of funding, uh, we are now growing to eight uh, uh, members, so we are actually doubling the size of the European University because we thought it would be important to... The European Universities is such a complex and risky endeavor that we thought it would be preferable to start on a small scale because the level of complexity is so huge that we assume that if we would start on a very large scale, it would really be complex for us. And our level of ambition was from the start very high. So uh, not only were we one of the smallest, but we were also one of the few European universities with a clear discipline focus. There are very few European universities that have this clear focus on a discipline. Uh, and that's obviously a challenge, but, but it's also a big risk because we would be benchmarked, and I think we are benchmarked against European universities that have 10 times our size 
because not only they have more members, but they are uh, covering the overall institutions. So we also had the challenge of using this focus on a discipline to transform our entire institutions, which is also complex. So we designed our initial application in a two-folded manner. On one side, we kept the discipline focused and we tried to use our focus on film as a way to transform our institutions from the pedagogical point of view. But at the same time, we also did a strong investment on structural elements that we assumed could have an impact across our overall institution. I'll give a very simple example, the implementation of Erasmus without paper. So we used FUMIU to implement Erasmus without paper across all our institutions. So all of a sudden, people in the veterinary school at my university benefit from the European University, although they had no relation whatsoever with film education. So that was the, the strategy we used. We are now extending that strategy in the, uh, in the next call, uh, in the next round of funding. We have created, we came up with this concept of the pod. The pod is um, uh, uh, what we call an animal of transformation. So we've uh, isolated all these small animals, we call them pods. Uh, mm -hmm. POD stands for point of differentiation, so we've isolated all those elements where we think the European University can make a difference at the level of the local institutions, because we are convinced that the European Universities have to be a bottom-up effort. That's our view. It cannot be something that is decided at the level of directors, because if it's only that, 10 years from now, they will not exist. So it has to be something that is embedded in the institutions. And we think that the best way to do that is to focus on very small transformative units. And that's what the pods are. That's what we've been testing in the first, uh, in the last three years. Um, I think we've been quite successful at doing it. And we've always had this bottom-up approach. On everything we do, we, we always have this bottom-up approach. That's why we don't have uh, beautiful photos of all directors in large meetings, but we have a lot of photos of teachers working together with students, actually on a very large scale. So we've done uh, uh, every year, we are doing more than 10 pilots, just bringing together students and teachers from the different schools working together around challenges. So uh, as I said in the beginning, challenge-based education, it's something that we really know how to do. So for us, it's not something new. So FilmU is first of all, it started as in a small scale and we are, we are aware that we are small. So we, all, we are always saying that small is beautiful. So we don't want to be this huge European university with 400,000 students. Uh, uh, so that's not our goal. Our goal is to do something that can actually be exemplary of a model of cooperation across a specific discipline that has a transformative effect across higher education institutions of a larger scale. So that's our, uh, I would say, our mission, to use what we do as something that can be replicated across uh, other alliances that operate on, on the same uh, basis. Uh, FUMIU has now been uh, running for three years. I think that in, in, in these first three years, we've learned a lot. And one of the, the main things, and I think that that's common to many European universities, we've understood that building a sense of community is, at the end of the day, the main objective of those that really want to put together an European university. So if European universities are not based on this sense of community, they will not be able to move from the so-called project view to the programmatic view, which is the stage that we are now in. In order to do something, 
that will exist 10, 20, 30 years from now. We need to move from this project base to this programmatic view, and we need to do it via this, uh, uh, the setup of this community. And that's, what, that's currently what we are focused on. Uh, the elements that generate this sense of community are actually uh, quite variable. So there are a number uh, of elements that I think contribute to this. Uh, governance is actually one of them, uh, but obviously the joint education and research activities are, is also another one. So building on that, the, 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 the institutions that promote FUMU have in the last two to three years applied for uh, what we call collateral funding. That's funding that will help us in implementing the transformative modules that we've designed in the European universities. We've been quite successful at doing it. We are currently also funded via EIT uh, in the higher education innovation program that the EIT and the KICS are putting together. We've, uh, in the last two years, we've won uh, four uh, joint uh, horizon proposals that the consortium put together in research areas highly related to our own field. We've also acquired uh, a number of Erasmus uh, Plus funding, namely for joint degrees, uh, both design measures and new degrees. So I think we are trying to also to build this community around the sense of dependency. So if we go together, if we work together, our ability to do things is much bigger than if we continue to work on our own. And I think the more we do this, it's like a proof of concept. So the more we do it, the more everyone across the institutions becomes convinced that this is the way to go. So, and that's actually what we are. I would say that FUMU is still in its infancy, like most of the European universities, but we already have a clear concept of what we want to do. And I think that that's important. Now we have this big challenge of doubling our size from four to eight. That will be a tremendous challenge for the next two to three years. So clearly you've been busy and doubling that size is going to keep you busy, it sounds like. I'm really attracted to this notion that you just mentioned of building community and the, you know, the really core importance of that. Um, and it brings me to a question for you about the current context in which we're living. We've seen recent elections and other developments in a number of European countries that point to a rise or a, a retrenchment, a further entrenchment of nationalism in some contexts which I think is kind of interesting to think about in relation to the work that um, your field does, um, relying on national and European policies and funding pools. I wonder if some of the current political environment you see having uh, an effect on the interests of your field and the, the professionals and students who are, are going to be the professionals as a future within it. How does Film EU, you know, situate itself in a context of an increasingly complex geopolitical environment in Europe and, and beyond that? First of all, I think that the European universities uh, uh, are leaving a momentum. So I would say that it's one of those flagship initiatives that at the end of the day, no one exactly knows where it's going, but it, it, it drives the, the effort uh, uh, of countries, of institutions. And in that sense, I think that being a part of the initi this initiative is crucial for the development of uh, uh, higher education in Europe. Having said that, I think that the, the tension between the national level and the European level is present every day in the lives of, of European universities. And it's present at different levels. I would say that, first of all, it's present at the level of legislation and regulations. 
So often we are confronted with a complete disparity between the national orientations in different European countries and European orientations. Uh, I'm not even talking of concrete measures, just the, the objectives, just what is expected of you as a higher education institution at the end of the day. You are called to do X at the national level, but then at the European level, you are expected to do Z. And, and I would say that this disparity in terms of the objectives that are set for you sometimes makes for a lot of confusion in terms of higher education in Europe. So that's the first, I would say it's not even a, a political issue. It's more uh, the, the issue of the lack of harmonization between the national and the European level in terms of legislation and regulations in Europe. And that poses a lot of problems for European universities. The second thing is that uh, I think it's still not clear where some of the core measures of the European universities uh, and the European agenda for universities are heading to. And I would give two examples. One is the European degree, which uh, uh, is still, I would say, a question mark because no one actually knows what we are talking about when we talk of the European degree. And, that, and that's not a problem as long as we are convinced that at the end of the day there will be a solution and we have a deadline for that. I think that one of the problems we currently have is that we don't have clear deadlines for the definition of the European uh, degrees, for the definition of the legal entity that the European universities are supposed to assume in the future. And last but not least, it's also not completely clear how we are going to face in the future the challenge of having the, the national institutions that are part of the European universities, but also this multi-campy uh, uh, umbrella type of institutions, how will the two operate together? Because I think that European universities will only be a success if the national institutions see it as an advantage. If the European universities become a burden on top of the national institutions, they will die in the end of the day because it's just more bureaucracy, it's just more, you know, complexity, an extra layer of complexity in a world that is already quite complex. So I think having a clear vision, I would say that there was a strong vision in the setup of the European Universities Initiative. We now need a strong vision of where it's adding. And I think we still do not have that. I'm not saying that all of those that are involved in this initiative are not aware of this problem. I'm just saying that it's crucial that that vision emerges as soon as possible. And that is a collective vision that also uh, integrates the contributions of the different stakeholders uh, actually working uh, across the European Universities Initiative. The, the, I think that the other important issue uh, is that the European dimension is maintained as the core aspect of the European universities. So I think that the focus on values, the focus on the things that bring us together instead of the things that make us different is the core aspect of the European universities initiative. For instance, in our case, we have a very strong linguistic diversity in our European university. Like I think that all European universities at the end of the day have, because if there's one thing that characterizes Europe, it's linguistic diversity. I don't think the focus for instance, for European universities should be in linguistic diversity, because that's something that is already there. And if we only focus on linguistic diversity, we'll put aside a lot of things that actually bring us together where we are similar. So instead of always trying to look for the dissimilarities, I think we should be targeting those aspects of diversity 
that actually make us more cohesive. Because I think that if we focus on cohesion and if we focus on diversity as a driver of cohesion, at the end of the day, some of the problems that you've mentioned uh, uh, will just disappear. Because the different stakeholders across society will see that this European added layer is actually beneficial for everyone. And I think that uh, uh, people, uh, the human being is by, uh, I would say, by nature, very individualistic. So when we see the benefits for our own existence, that's when we understand things. So I think that it's, it's up to us all that are participating in the European universities to convince everyone across the institutions, not only the rectors, from the rectors to the students, to the staff, that there is a benefit in this initiative for all of them, that at the end of the day, they will all profit. And that will, if we are able to do that, I think that all national salomas around the initiative will just disappear because they will become irrelevant. Manuel Jose, it has been just fantastic speaking with you, learning much more about this very distinct and unique area of film and media studies and its relevance to a lot of different areas, but then also um, learning more about the European Universities Alliance through the lens, pun intended, of you know, where you're sitting and the alliance that you're involved in. Thank you for spending the time with us. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. That was Manuel José Damasio, head of the Film and Media Arts Department at Lusofana University in Lisbon and coordinator for Film EU, the European University of Film and Media Arts. Our session notes give you access to some Film EU resources, along with some EAE materials of interest. We hope you'll enjoy exploring those. And we hope you'll continue your professional journey of exploration and development in the coming year with the EAE. During the past year, the EAE community had the chance to come together again, virtually, as well as in person, reinforcing the notion that together, as a community, we can reach higher. The EAE can be your supportive global network to help you take your career and goals to the next level in 2023. Become a member in 2023 to harness the power of the EAE community. You'll enjoy the support of a community of experts, access to top-notch publications and reports, and, should you choose, participation in our mentorship program. Group membership packs are also available so that more of your team can enjoy the perks of EIE membership at a reduced rate. To find out more about EAIE membership and what it means to some of our current members, please visit the EAIE website at www.eaie.org. That's a wrap for this episode of the EAIE podcast. Please be on the lookout for our next episode in two weeks' time. For now, all good wishes to you from the EAIE.